Good morning. We're going to have the first reading, oh, second reading. Um, Colossians 2, verses 1 to 7, found in your Bibles, page 1016. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding judgments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Thanks be to God. Oh, no, this is the word. (laughs) This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. (laughs) Thanks, Jeanette. Wowee. Hey, welcome. A very big welcome to you. My name's Nick. It's a real pleasure to be here with you. It'd be really great if you could keep your Bibles open Um, in chapter 2. And the beautiful thing is we're only going to hang out in two verses Two beautiful, wonderful, amazing verses that, you know, if we had some clickbait, I would promise you would change your life forever. Um, but I actually mean that. I believe that if, if you had these verses understood and treasured in your life, it would make an enormous impact on your faith every single day of your life. Everyone wants to have a deep and intimate relationship with God. Um, I think that even if you don't yet have a faith in the Bible and the God of the Bible, everybody if, knows that if God is real, we want to know him deeply and intimately, right? And as Christians who, who have met Jesus and experienced something of his beauty and his grace, we want to know him deeply and intimately all the time. Um, but I wonder if you've ever experienced um, a sense of distance from God. Or like the feeling that maybe your faith has stagnated a little bit. Um, maybe that, that you once were on fire for God, but, but you've lost that flame. Or, or you used to be zealous, but now you're kind of a bit lukewarm. I know I definitely feel that sometimes. And now I, I want to acknowledge that that's, that's okay. That's normal. There are going to be seasons in life where you're riding high on the good fumes of Jesus Christ and you're loving life and you're going hard and you're feeling great and God feels real and life is good. But there are equally going to be times um, outside of your control where life gets difficult and therefore God feels far away um, and that's okay. That's normal. Um, I think sometimes we actually have a problem where we try to fix everything a little too quickly. It's okay to have moments where God feels distant and we have these moments of doubt and faith is difficult. It's okay to have those. Let's just sit in them sometimes. I think it would be good for us sometimes to just acknowledge that life isn't always rosy and and wonderful and faith isn't either. 
But there still stands this desire, right? That, that for the most part, we'd experience God and know God. We'd have a sense that God is real. Not just real vaguely, but real for you, real for me. That, that there'd be a joy, a deeper meaning in life. We want those things. But I think sometimes we sabotage ourselves and we create some unhealthy dynamics in the way that we do faith. We create some unhealthy dynamics in the way that we approach Jesus. And because of them, in fact, we start to distance ourselves from God. We cry out, God, where are you? Why aren't you here? But in fact, it's really us that have created that distance. And there's just a few before we dig into the passage that I want to point out. I think the first one is is an important one to understand, especially for us who who would call ourselves Sydney Anglicans, is that sometimes we can elevate an idea of the knowledge of God and the knowledge of the Bible too highly. And we actually equate growth in faith with growth in knowledge. And we equate an understanding of who God is personally with an understanding of who God is intellectually. And we decide that as we learn more and more about our Bible, we can measure how far along in the faith we are by how many Bible facts we know and how many theological quotes we can quote. And we kind of develop this sense that, that faith is, is a mental exercise. Now, I had this very clearly pointed out to me when I first came to faith because I became a Christian at 14. I didn't have too much background in, in Christianity um, I knew some Bible stories, but, but, but I didn't know too much. So when I became a Christian, I just was like a little dog, just like lapping it all up. Like, you just imagine a little puppy that's just sitting there in a bowl of water after a big walk, just like, just like you know, I'm happy to embarrass myself in front of you, just, just lapping up the water, right? I started going to Bible studies. I started going to sermons. I started going to groups at school. I had like seven things on in my week just so I could dig into the Bible, and it was exciting, It was so exciting because I'd met Jesus and I wanted to follow Jesus. And people were saying, hey, if you read this, I can tell you something new about Jesus. And so my faith just started growing like crazy. It was amazing. I had this experience of getting to know God and it was wonderful. But I kind of got to a point where I think I'd managed to grab the big picture of the Bible. And I'd learnt um, a bunch of the theologies that were really important. And suddenly I felt like I wasn't growing anymore because I didn't have any new facts to learn or any new theology to go to. And so I would just sit there and think, well, where is God? He was there in the first few years of my faith. Where is he now? I see this frequently in people who, who come to faith because there's that dynamic of growing really quickly as you learn. But I wonder if you and I have got that, that unhealthy dynamic just kind of sitting under the surface sometimes where it's all about the Bible. It's all about the knowledge. It's all about the facts. And we miss the the beautiful person of Jesus and the richness of relationship with him. That's the first one. On the flip side of that, on the other side of the coin, is an overemphasis on spiritual experience. You know, you can be be a nerd and just lift the Bible too high and think too much about theology. and that's a good thing to love the Bible. It's a good thing to love theology, but, but sometimes it can go too far. But you can flip to the other side where it's not about knowledge. It's actually about experience. It's about that moment that you had that was just so rich when God just revealed himself to you in power and you felt his presence. And at that moment, you were like, God is real and I will follow him forever. And I love that, right? If you've ever been to conferences, Christian conferences, you get some like world-class speaker to come and preach the Bible and you're just sitting there like, oh my goodness, God is real. And you're sitting there singing a song and you're like, I just feel him. 
He's real. I love it. And then you get to Tuesday after the conference, and you're like, all right, God feels a little less real right now. And then you get to Thursday, and you're like, oh, where is God? And then you get to Saturday, and you're like, man. And then you hit Sunday, and you're like, maybe I'm going to get my my dose of Jesus now. And the experience factor is going to plung me back up. What happens when church isn't good that Sunday? You don't get that experience. You don't get that spiritual injection. And so we can't constantly run from these highs to lows to high to lows. And the dynamic of our faith doesn't actually have any substance to it. It's all about experience. It's all about how we feel. It's all about what God did in that one moment. Um, it doesn't sustain us, and it sure as heck doesn't propel us forward in any meaningful way. Now, don't hear me wrong. It is amazing to experience the reality of God. It's amazing to hear the Bible proclaimed clearly. I hope that I do that for you today. But when we take a good thing and we make it a God thing, we miss the point. When we take something good that God has given us and we elevate it too highly, we actually do damage to ourselves and we do damage to our faith and we miss the point entirely. And then we ask, God, where are you? Why do you feel far away? Why is my faith stagnating? Why, does it, why is it so hard to just want to be a Christian? Well, really, it's because we've, we've defined growing as a Christian wrongly. We've missed the point entirely. Very quickly, you might fall into legalism where it's all about growing in faith by being a better person. You know, rightly so, you meet Jesus and he turns your life around. He changes everything and he should. But then we start to go, okay, I'm gonna change all these things in my life so that suddenly I'm gonna be a new person. I'm gonna do things differently. And so now you start to define yourself by how much money you give to church and how many sins you repented of. And now I don't think those sexual thoughts anymore and I'm not addicted to pornography, so therefore I am godly. And that's my faithfulness now. And no longer do I gossip anymore. I stopped caring about what people think of me and now I'm holy. And so you define your faith by what you've done for yourself, what you've managed to build as a Christian. And suddenly it's all about you, 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 right? And so God's just kind of thrown out of the equation. He's the one who got you started. He gave you that like little cleaning, you know, he washed your car for you. And then he was like, off you go, go for a drive. And suddenly it's all you, it's all you. Again, it's so important to grow in faith by changing your life, leaving sin behind. But when you focus on the outward appearance to the exclusion of the inner man, you have missed the point. And again, you could flip to the other side and you could actually care nothing at all about the outer man and it could just be all about the fact that I met Jesus once and he forgave me, now I can do whatever I want. He set me free. I'm free in Jesus. And so I go to church once every three months because Jesus has set me free to live the life that I need to live. And church is holding me down. It's a bit boring. You know what I mean? They asked me to join a roster. How dare they? You know, there's just this sense that I'm going to do what's best for me because Jesus has freed me. And again, it's true. God has not put a yoke of slavery upon you to make you do X, Y, and Z. He set you free by his grace. He's delivered you out of slavery and, and brought you into freedom. But he's brought you into freedom to know and love him and to walk with him closely. Again, it's when we take these good things and we twist them and and misunderstand them, the dynamic of our faith really hurts us. You might be thinking, Nick, you haven't even got to the Bible yet. Can you just move on? Can we get there? I just really want you to get this because God has given us really beautiful things to know him and to love him. In, In old times, we'd call them the means of grace. And I love that language because it's the means by which we experience and dwell in the grace of Jesus. But I worry that we make the means the grace itself, rather than understanding that they've been given to us to deliver us to grace. 
It's like having a path that's going to take you to Jesus and you sit down and just look at the pavement and go, this is a really nice path. I'm going to just sit here for the rest of my life, not knowing that just over the hill is the glorious one, the one who loves you and will be with you. We, we, we have this danger of taking the means and making them the important thing. Or because we realize that they can get in the way sometimes, we throw them out entirely. I don't need to read my Bible. I don't need to pray. I don't need to come to church. I don't need to meet with other Christians. I don't need to be real about my sin because Jesus set me free. Um, you know, I don't want to be one of those legalistic Sydney Anglicans that likes the Bible too much, so I'll never read the Bible. You know what I mean? Like we react too far. And I want to bring us to the center this morning. I think Paul wants to bring you to the center this morning. What does it mean to live and grow as a Christian? What does it mean to just dwell in the grace of Jesus in a way that, that means you know him intimately through your whole life? So that's where we come to, verse 6. Let me read it for us. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. It's a really simple verse, but really profound. How do you live the Christian life? You do what you did at the start. You do what you did at the start. What happened when you became a Christian, if you're a Christian here? Well, you, you saw the reality of God. You saw the reality of your sinfulness before a holy God. And you realized there was nothing you could do but there was something that he could do. And you saw the beautiful Lord Jesus who, who stepped down into this world and shed his blood for you, who rose again in victory because he conquered death and sin for all eternity. And he, he rose again into heaven to be reigning for all time. And as you see that Jesus and you see your sinfulness, you just received it. You didn't do anything. You just said yes. You, you understood the holiness of God, but you understood the grace of God. And those two beautiful things came together in an important word in verse 6, just as you received Christ Jesus. This is a grace word. This is a gift undeserved word. It doesn't say that you looked at Christ from a distance and decided in your own soul that it would be good to go to him and so you wandered down and found him and then you became a Christian. No, you received him. It doesn't say that you sat in your pew at church and you weighed up the evidence and all the different you know, Bible talks over the past year and decided whether or not rationally Jesus made sense and then in your own strength you decided that, okay, I'm gonna believe in him. No, you received him. It's just this, this fundamental expectation and knowledge of yourself that you need God and he came to you. And the, the way that we talk about this is sovereign grace. It's so good that they named a church about it. Sovereign grace. Grace, this undeserved gift of life that has been given to you. That is grace. But it's not a grace that you decide one day that you'd like and want to have in your life. No, it's a grace that has been given to you from on high, from the sovereign one, from the king 
Grace is a gift that God has given you. The faith that you have in Jesus is a gift that God has given you. So how do you continue as a Christian? Rest in the grace of Jesus. It sounds, sounds too simple, right? Much harder to do, I promise you that. We'll get there, though. Um, rest in the grace of Jesus. Um, I think so often we try to let Jesus start us off and then we get going. Um, I like to think of it like this. Often we think of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. We think of it like a diving board where we go out to the local aquatic center and we see the enormous pool and the big diving board and we're like, man, I want to jump off that. I don't want to do that because I'm terrified of heights, but some people like this. They climb up the ladder, they get to this diving board and they're like, this is amazing. The gospel is fantastic. Look at how good Jesus is. He died for me. He shows blood for me. I need that. Okay, I'm going to get on that gospel board and I'm going to jump up and down and then I'm going to do a triple swan dive because that's awesome. And you jump off the gospel board and you dive into the pool and then you get into the pool and you're like, well, that was fun. I'm going to hang out in this pool now. The gospel was really good. It got me where I wanted to go, but that's all I needed it for. Now I'm going to swim. Now I'm going to do my thing. Now I'm going to relax here in the world. Um, blessed because of the diving board. Don't get me wrong, we, we think the diving board was important, but it's done its job. Now we're going to hang out here in our, our little space, in our little way. You know, Jesus, you gave us the 10% that we needed to get started. We'll take it from here. We'll do the rest of the 90%. But that is a complete misunderstanding of the entire Scriptures, that, that you at start, middle, and finish need the gospel to hold you and save you and draw you near. When you see God really see God, you realize how sinful you are. The longer I'm a Christian and the more I grow in my faith, the more I realize how sinful I am, the more I see my sin. To some people on the outside, it might look like I'm reforming, I'm getting better, I'm getting better, but I can't tell you how deep the sin goes in my heart. And it's only as I draw closer to God that I see that. We don't just dive off the gospel diving board and go into the pool of the world and sort it out. No, the the whole point is that you dive off that diving board into the gospel. The pool is the gospel. You've landed in the beautiful place. It's the gospel that you want to live in for the rest of your life. It's the gospel that you want to just, you know, sunbake next to. It's the gospel that you want to just like float upside down in. Picture the greatest beach or the greatest pool that you've ever seen. You never want to leave there. You've been on a holiday that you're like, I wish would never end. That's the gospel. It's not this thing that we believe in the, the corner, it's the center, it's everything. It's, it's Jesus who died for you and restored you to God and it's that grace at that moment that you live in right now and you will in 10 years and you will in 50 years. The way you started is the way that you continue. You have the Bible, read it because it reminds you of the grace of God. You have experiences where you step into the presence of God, remember who He is, how He saved you and He loves you. You get to grow in holiness, and every moment that you conquer sin and have a moment of victory, remember that that's the grace of God in your life. It's got nothing to do with you. And when you're sitting there on a Sunday, and you're like, man, church is kind of boring. I can leave right now. Rejoice in the fact that Christ has set you free, that there's nothing expected of you. You just get to do it. Let every moment of your Christian journey drive you back into that pool of the gospel, and let that pool be where you live from. Let Jesus, the grace of Jesus, be absolutely everything to you. And when you let that be the reality, you'll find that even in the deepest, darkest moments of your life, and even when God feels distant because everything's crumbling down around you, you will know the grace of God to your being. And there'll never be a moment where you forget it. 
just a little quick word. You received him with grace, but how did they receive him? They received Christ Jesus as Lord. As Lord. I think there's a danger when we talk about how good the grace of Jesus is to forget that we need to submit to him. Um, That moment when I first became a Christian, I received the life-giving grace of Jesus, but I said, Lord, you are my Lord. I lay my life down. Everything I am for you. That's how you start. You, you say, no longer me, it's you. And so that's the Christian life, resting in the grace of Jesus and submitting it all to him. Dependence on grace and constantly submitting to Christ. You might feel like that's a tension. There's freedom, but then there's obligation. But that's the beauty that Christ has set you free to joyfully be with him. If you really knew how good the grace of Jesus is, There'd be no moment where you ever doubt that following him is the right way to live. We start with Jesus in grace and we submit to him. We continue with Jesus in grace and we submit to him. Now, that's that's a lot in one verse. Um, And there's a lot that we could talk about how to do that. But I just want to just really quickly look at each of these, these pictures that Paul gives us of what it looks like. This is what it looks like when you continue in Christ. There's four things. One, you're rooted in him. Two, you're built up in him. Three, you're strengthened in the faith as you were taught. And four, you're overflowing with thankfulness. So the first one is that you're rooted in him. Um, Rooted, this is kind of an agricultural image. Picture an enormous, enormous, like a huge plant. Pick your favorite plant if you like plants. Um, But I have come across the Californian redwoods. I haven't been there in person, but they are the coolest tree in existence, I tell you. I'm getting some nods here. Someone knows what I'm talking about. These, so if you, have, you don't know what I'm talking about, these trees, they're trees that can grow, I think the tallest one is 117 meters tall. Think about that. I'm two meters tall, right? 63 of me, right? Like that's a, lot, that's a big tree. 117 meters tall. And they grow out to at least 10 meters wide, so wide that they've actually carved out tunnels in them so that you can drive your car through a tree. Like it's a tree. I, don't feel, I feel like you're not getting, thinking this is amazing enough. Like you're driving your car through a tree. And I just, I've seen photos of these trees and I look at like a small tree and think of that tree and I go, man, that is fantastic. And you, we just look at those trees and we just think these are enormous. This is amazing. But what we forget to realize is how did the tree get so big? Well, it better have a really awesome root system, right? It's, you just think how deep must those roots go? How How far down into the earth do these roots penetrate to get enough nourishment so that the tree could grow that big and be that enormous? You know, I think that's what we do as Christians. We look around at one another and see some really godly, wonderful Christians, and we go, how did that tree get so big? I want to be a tree like that. We start comparing trees. I'm only a two-meter tree, and you're an eight-meter tree. I want to be an eight-meter tree. You're so godly and holy and wonderful and nice and kind, and look at your gifts for speaking, and look at your gifts for hospitality. I want to be like you. We just focus so much on the tree. But how do we get to be that tree? Focus on the roots. Focus on the roots. This is about nourishment. You want to grow in your faith. You want to grow in the grace of Jesus. Set your roots down deeply into him. What does that look like? That looks like every morning or afternoon or whatever time works for you, opening your Bible and allowing God to speak to you so that his agenda dictates your life and not yours. It looks like sitting in his presence and speaking with him and allowing him to lead you by his spirit. It looks like God being the one to feed your soul rather than you just living on empty all the time. 
set your roots down deep into the gospel, into the grace of Jesus. And just a side note, let's stop comparing trees. Um, let's stop comparing, you know, what you look like in your faith to what I look like in my faith, and instead just acknowledge that God is growing all of us, and that all we need to focus on is getting our roots down deeply. Does that make sense? Cool. Second thing is being built up in Him. This is a, a building imagery where you get the sense that your whole life is going to be an act of building something. Your life is a building. Um, each, each decision that you make is contributing to the building that is you. Um, the question that, that Paul puts to you is, what are you building upon? Is Jesus the foundation? Because if you're not built on the foundation of Jesus, it doesn't matter what you build, because it's going to crumble down. So when you think, okay, what am I going to do for my career? Um, where am I going to study? Um, who am I going to marry? How many kids am I going to have? Um, where am I going to live? What is the next 20 years going to look like? Um, what does my retirement look like? All of these big decisions that we make in life, so often we just kind of make them. But are they decisions that are built upon Christ and directed towards Christ and found in Christ? I think that's a real big challenge. Take a look at your life and go, how am I built upon him? The third one is strengthened in the faith, as you were taught. I love this because it's, it's a bit of a contradiction. It says, be strong in the faith, as you were taught. Essentially, he's saying, be strong in the fact that you're weak, right? Because that's your faith, right? Your faith is an acknowledgement of how empty you are and how big and awesome God is. And so he's saying, be strong in the fact that you're weak. Um, Paul says to Timothy, when he writes the letter, he says, be strong in the grace of Jesus. It's just like, how do you be strong in the fact that you're not strong? Well, it's to find your strength not in yourself, but to find it in him. To be strengthened in the faith just as you were taught. How do you do that? Well, this faith word, it's a trust word. What is faith? It's, it's simply looking at something and trusting it. I have faith in the chair that I'm sitting on to not fall apart on me. That's Jesus. He's the chair. Will you sit on him with your whole weight? Or do you kind of just keep up a little bit, hoping that you know, maybe he's not strong enough to hold me? Put your trust in him. Trust in the grace of Jesus. And this last one, I'll leave it here. Don't you worry. Um, this last one, this one, this one challenges me way too much. Um, so hold me accountable, please. Overflowing with thankfulness. Oh, I feel like I grumble too much, hey? I feel like there's always little things that just get to me and bug me. And then Paul goes and chucks this in the Bible. Like I have to listen to him. Overflowing with thankfulness. He's not just like, okay, see some good things in your life each morning and say five thankfulnesses. You know what I mean? Like be mindful and meditate once a morning and you'll be, that's thankfulness. No, he says overflowing with thankfulness. That's crazy. We, we don't do that. Maybe you do. If you do, come teach me. But I think that if we really understood the grace of Jesus, we would be thankful. Way more thankful than we are. Because every breath is a gift. And everything that we have is from his hand. And every moment, even in the darkest moments, is a moment in which we're held by his hand. Um, imagine the persuasive witness of Christians if instead of grumbling, even in our worst moments, we were just thankful to God. And the world just saw a people that, that even though life is crumbling around us, we're just thankful to God. It's amazing. Um, I think if you're anything like me in a 21st century Western world, thankfulness doesn't come easy. Slow down, rest in the gospel, delight in the gospel, and just let thankfulness just ooze out of you every day. It's a challenge for you this week. Come to next Sunday and think, how thankful was I? 
You do a thankfulness audit, you know? I know there's some financial people out there. You love it when I say the word audit. Do a thankfulness audit. Think, think what is God doing in my life? Um, but right at the center, you started with grace, continue in grace, because you'll finish with grace. Make sense? Started with grace, you continue with grace. So let's finish with grace. Let me pray. Father, you are almighty, you are powerful, you are glorious, you are holy. You are the king of all creation. And you look at us, these small, short-lived humans who rebel against you, and you say, I want them. And so you pour out your love on us. You could condemn us, you could judge us, but you, you give us life um, at great cost to yourself in Jesus. Lord, would we never move from that grace? And would you give us a deep thankfulness for everything that you have done for us? Amen.